What's up, Tiaholics? Welcome back to the Tea on Crime. It's your host, Britt. And I'm the co-host, Jessica, wife and true crime skeptic. Just as a reminder before we get started, the views, thoughts, and opinions expressed in this podcast are simply our own and are only presented to educate. We've linked the case sources in the episode notes below. Hold on real quick, you guys. We're jumping into an ad. This is episode 23 and the final part to our Biggie Smalls and Tupac story. I can't believe this case has so much information that we've had to split this into two parts. Yes, and just so everybody knows, we apologize. We know that it has taken a couple of weeks for us to bring out part two. Obviously, we wanted to build up the anticipation. Not just kidding. <laughs> uh, work has been a little bit crazy for me. Brittany was all prepared. It's all on me. I apologize. So sorry, but here we are. <laughs> So let's recap where we left off last. I told you about the shooting of both Tupac and Biggie, which happened six months apart from each other. And we also discussed the theory that the LA police had a few police officers involved working with Suge Knight for death row records. Are you ready to hear some other theories on these cases that will take us down a few rabbit holes? By here, you mean, are you ready to hear my theories? (laughs) Did you come prepared? Kind of. All right, I'm ready. Okay, so with everything that I'm going to be talking about, we're going to kind of go back to the beginning to give some context, and then we can go from there, okay? Let's begin with the Black Panthers and what they believed. As you know, maybe some of you don't know, I am a really, really big fan of the Black Panthers and what they originally stood for because it was one of the very first revolutionary groups that had such great meaning behind their first beginnings. They believed in socialism, equality, and justice against police brutality. They set up breakfast programs that fed thousands of children before school started. They set up health clinics, food pantries. They simply heavily invested in their communities, which you don't see a lot nowadays or since, honestly. And what I really love about them is their pledge. Their pledge was the following. I pledge allegiance to my Black people. I pledge to develop my mind and body to the greatest extent possible. I will learn all that I can in order to give my best to my people in their struggle for liberation. So essentially, they fought for racism, sexism, poverty, and immigration to help spread a message that as humans, there is more that unites us than divides us. And I feel like that is such a strong statement, even now, especially in the United States. So Tupac in his life before prison, he was really sensitive and he stated that he never held a fear that another African-American person would ever shoot him. So he essentially thought when he was shot originally that it was never going to be somebody that looked like him. He thought that he represented Black people in the African-American community and that he was an ambassador into his people's lives. So you fast forward his life when he was in prison and how it affected, shaped, and influenced him on who he later became after he was released. Before his time in prison, he had a very clear mindset of thug life, which if you notice, right, it's tattooed on his stomach. He has a lot of memorabilia that states thug life and that he could only trust other African-American people. And unfortunately, he ended up dissing on a lot of other people that weren't what he looked like. For instance, Madonna, he dissed on her quite a bit actually, but he was later surprised at the outcome because people like Madonna, Mickey Rourke, for a few examples, they were one of the first few people that actually helped and supported Tupac during some of those really hard years in prison. He slowly began to shift and change into this man that wanted to have true power and not in the violent way per se, but in a take no prisoners power to the people type of way. 
He absolutely, don't get me wrong, wanted revenge on the people that he felt had betrayed him. And we'll get to that in just a little bit. So essentially, if you think about it, he is shedding his thug life skin, if you want to call it a transformation of sorts. He believed that thug life would always be a part of him, but he had graduated from that mindset or mentality. He wanted to start organizations that would save younger people stuck in the life that he came up in because nobody else was going to save them, just like nobody came to save him. Let me tell you about the other stage name that Tupac would use. Earlier in part one, I told you that before Tupac started to use Tupac as his rap name, he started with MC New York. That definitely would not have worked out. (laughs) (laughs) It's not a good name. It's very basic. But he also had one more stage name. He also went by the name Machiavelli, which was the same name as Italian strategist Niccolo, is it Machiavelli? It's not. No, it's not. So Tupac went by Machiavelli. I got that part right. The Italian strategist (laughs) is Niccolo Machiavelli. Sounds so beautiful when you say it. When you don't know who he is. Who had pretended to fake his own death. Also, if you switch around the letters in Machiavelli, you get M alive K. Yeah. (laughs) I've read. (laughs) And you're not very impressed. I'm, you know, I'm not. (laughs) I'm, I'm not at all. Just let me have my conspiracy theories, okay? okay? Go right This is for me. It's fine, because I'm going (laughs) to debunk them one by one. Great. Let's also talk about the importance of the number seven in Tupac's life and how this has led to some crazy ideas by crazy people like me. Are you going (laughs) to talk? Please tell me you're not going to talk about number theories. Perhaps. Oh, God. Number (laughs) theories are roped into everything. So the number seven makes a lot of appearances in Tupac's music and life often associated with religious text it's a highly spiritual number some fans believe that tupac may have died but had a christ-like resurrection seven days after his death there's also the theory that tupac is living under witness protection (laughs) don't lie (laughs) you mean he's gonna be he's gonna be living under witness protection by the fbi when his last words apparently to the police were fuck the police hey I'm just living my best life over here going through this, okay? It makes so much sense to me. People believe that in 1996, Tupac was helping the FBI to investigate his former record company, Death Row Records, and was taken into witness protection upon completing the investigation of the record label. I want to tell you one last thing. Tupac named his last album, Machiavelli, The Seven Day Theory. Should Knight was not listed on the record's executive producer, but instead someone named Simon was. Simon was the first apostle to see Jesus rise from the grave. I want you to know, everybody, that it's been edited, but I made Brittany... I made Brittany re-say the sentence of Simon was the first apostle to Jesus rise from the grave because she said apostle. (laughs) Do you remember that clothing store? Maybe it's not a thing outside of the U.S., but in the U.S. there was, still is? I don't know if there still still is. is. Uh, It's called Air Apostel, so that's what it just reminded me of. Apostel. You know, maybe one day we'll like release the bloopers of all the things you really have to edit out as like a special... For you. Oh, man. Tupac, who was shot in Las Vegas on September 7th, 1996, but died on September 13th, 1996, took seven days to die. If you listen to one of the songs on his album titled Hail Mary, loudly enough, you can hear someone whisper, you think I'm dead. That's wrong. 
around the three second mark, which is followed by Tupac's slightly louder reply of wait seven years. I just want you to know, Jessica and I both listened to the song very loudly. I'm convinced it's in there. She says it's not. We all believe what we believe. It's fine. We're just reaching for things. (laughs) I couldn't tell their story without telling you each of these wild ideas behind it. I think we should remember, though, that both Tupac and Biggie, for the life that they lived and not the afterlife the music industry has created. Yeah, I mean, listen, we don't have fancy equipment to where I can tune out the melody behind that particular song and hear it. But do I hear it? No, I don't. Do I believe that this is true no i do not just turn it up loud leave us a comment if you can hear it so contrary to belief britney wasn't necessarily aware that the world is obsessed with this numeric conspiracy theory and you guys can google it a lot of people have put results together that for all of these really big life calamities or great events. So like the big tidal wave, I think it was in Japan, 9-11, the huge earthquake, these really big world event moments that happened, people have already predicted based off of numeric conspiracy theories. I think it's so cool. (laughs) That's nice. I'm here for it. I know you are because you're gullible. So we'll talk about Tupac and his Machiavelli. People are often found discussing Tupac calling himself Machiavelli, which some are and some aren't aware, as you had stated, that it is in correlation to Niccolo Machiavelli. And when Tupac was in prison, he read this book called The Print, and it was written, obviously, by the Italian diplomat and war strategist Niccolo Machiavelli. So The Prince is a political treatise that argues that the ends justify the means. So what is the purpose of a treatise? It's very similar to an essay, but it's much longer and usually about a serious subject, which if you think about it, right, that's very Tupac-y, I guess is the (laughs) word. So, I mean, would you view rap as poetry? I do, yes. Some would say yes, right? And some would say that poetry or rap are forms of literature. So a treatise in literature is a written disclosure on some subject concerned with investigating or exposing the principles of its subject and its conclusion. So the two most important ideas from a government treatise, quote, life, each person effectively owns him or herself, liberty, your right to do more or less what you want with that life, and property, which is very familiar with one of Tupac's principles after being released from prison, right? After he'd read The Prince and all these other things. And then on the other end, yes, you do have Niccolo Machiavelli. He's also known to believe that fear is a better motivator than love, which is why it is a more effective tool for leaders. It's better to be feared than to be loved if one cannot be both. And then one of the other books that transformed Tupac view was Art of War by Sun Tzu. Have you read this book? I have not. Have you? I have a long, long time ago. And it's actually really great. It gives you a complete different perspective on how to approach different situations in life that you can compare the experiences in the book to, if that makes sense. Oh, okay. So essentially, it's a book that gives several concepts on knowing when to fight, when not to, knowing how to mislead your enemy, and also knowing one's enemy as much as 
is oneself. So kind of the, what's that line? Keep your friends close, keep your, your enemies, enemies closer, closer. essentially. Yes. Yeah, it's, it's very similar to that model. And then we come back to Niccolo Machiavelli did in fact fake his own death, to which he came back 18 years later to baffle his enemies as a strategy. And I think that's something that I will touch on a little bit more. So everybody just remember the faking his own death. You're probably going to be upset <laughs> with what I'm going to say. So we'll just, we'll save it for now. Can I tell you another great theory about this case? Oh my God. Sure. I came prepared with every theory ever. Fantastic. And it's a lot of rabbit holes. <sighs> Are you ready? No. <laughs> so one of the most well-known theories comes from a 2012 picture of Rihanna, which sparked speculation that Tupac is still alive because the man in the picture resembles him. It really does. Because people don't have doppelgangers <laughs> all over the world. Many fans believe that Tupac fled to Cuba to hide out with his aunt, who, as we know, was also a member of the Black Panthers. Some people have also stated that they spotted Biggie alive in 20s. One important question that I have, though, is what happened with Tupac's cremation? Remember in the first part that I told you he had been cremated the very next day from when he passed away? Oh, which was right. really strange. Yes, I forgot about this. Okay. So all of that happened under the direction of Suge Knight. There was never a proper burial or any kind of celebration for Tupac, which is really interesting. I was just about to say, it's so weird because didn't Suge Knight, hasn't he always claimed that him and Tupac were super close? Yes, but I think it's interesting because the community loved Tupac so much that it's strange they never had the opportunity to have a celebration for him. Oh yeah, that's true. I didn't even think about that. Suge Knight claims he paid $3 million for Tupac's cremation the day after he died. That seems a little excessive. A little high. Yeah. However, the man who carried out the process allegedly disappeared and has never been seen again. As in, are you talking about the, I'm assuming it's like a medical examiner that did, that cremated him or whatever, a mortician that cremated him? Yes. I don't know if he was qualified or Suge Knight just found a random person off the street allegedly could go either way i'm and not just, sure like, put him in a random oven is that what you're getting to that's just crazy. hey maybe i don't think so <laughs> however there were also inconsistencies in the crematory process for example tupac's social security number was never registered in the office death index and the information regarding the height and the weight of the alleged body that was cremated also did not match the description of tupac well i guess with that i mean I can understand it being weird circumstances, right? Number one, why did you immediately cremate him? And pay $3 million. That's, if that's what you paid. That's excessive. It is very excessive. And number two, in regards to the inconsistencies, Tupac's social security number was never registered with the office death index. In my mind, look at who had him cremated. He doesn't exactly seem like the most intelligent person on the correct process of so-and-so dies, we then need to register. And if what's-his-face went missing after doing the cremation, who is going <laughs> to file the report? That's true. But tell me that's not a little weird. His social security number is still out there. Come on. I Where's all my conspiracy theory fans right now? It was 1996. <laughs> I don't think processes at that time were as strict as they are now. Let me believe it. You believe what you want to believe. In regards to the height and weight, right, of the body not matching the description of Tupac, what do you, I don't know what that means. 
It means someone lied. I don't think it was him. As in, you believe that somebody took another human being's body and swapped it out with Tupac? Absolutely. How? Well, I don't know how. I mean, I'm not the one doing these crimes. What I'm stating is, do I think (laughs) that it was Tupac's body... No, I do not. Again, let me believe what I want to believe. We're going to have different opinions on this one. Well, I guess my question is, so how much is the height and weight off from the real Tupac? Just a little bit, but that doesn't matter right now. When you say a little (laughs) bit. I mean, maybe like an inch or two. (laughs) Okay. I'm going to believe what I want to believe. Because, you know, a human body doesn't become stiff. And who knows what his body looked like after being shot up so many times. I can't with you sometimes. <laughs> you people and your true crime and all this nonsense that you just want to blindly believe. All right, so I'm going to go back to the theory that Tupac faked his own death, okay? <laughs> and I'm sure some of you are going to be really upset about this, and that's that's okay. I think Brittany is going to be included in that sentence. So like I said, I've been thinking a lot on the theory that Tupac faked his own death, and as I'm sure you're gathering, I unfortunately don't agree with that belief. If you really, really pay attention to the ideals and principles that he lived his life by, whether it's before prison or after prison, it just doesn't make any sense to me. It, it does not add up. So here, I'm going to play your game, Brit. okay? So let's entertain for a minute that, yeah, he is absolutely alive, which he's not. And he did fake his own death, okay? (laughs) So people who believed he faked his own death, he would have come back essentially, I think I've read from 2013 to 2014-ish. So let's have a quick recap of some events and statistics from 2013 to now. I don't know if everybody remembers all of these things. In the US, in 2013, the Black Lives Matter movement began after the shooting of teenager Trevon Martin, right? Tupac? nowhere to be found. African Americans from 2015 to current experienced 10 times the gun homicides, 18 times the gun assault injuries, and nearly three times the fatal shootings of police of Caucasian Americans. That's horrible. I just want to throw that in there. I agree. And my question is to you, where was Tupac? In 2015, a lot of people I'm sure have forgotten, I have not unfortunately, we had the Charleston Church Massacre where a white supremacist opened fire and unfortunately took the lives of nine amazing people. And yet again, no Tupac, right? And I'm sure all of you are thinking, exactly, Jessica, no Tupac. He's still alive. (laughs) I'm getting there. You calm down, okay? Calm down. So in 2016... This is where all the hate's going to come in. I'm so sorry, America, for anybody who's a fan. And listen, if you are a fan, that's perfectly fine. No judgment. I believe everybody should have their own opinion on it. And this is simply mine. So I am sorry if you are upset by my opinion. So in 2016, Americans who famously ran for president, which sparked a circus across the nation in America, essentially making us the laughing stock of the world in a lot of other countries. Do you remember, Brittany? Oh, I remember. What's your guess? Well, I'm going to say it was Donald Trump. It was! Yes, he was elected. Again, no Tupac, right? 
In 2020, we had George Floyd, who was murdered due to police brutality. And listen, this is a really, really touchy topic when it comes to George Floyd. And honestly, just depending on all the facts you want to look at involving George Floyd as a person, his past, as well as the officers, but that's honestly neither here nor there. That's not the point, right? But again, no Tupac. So I don't believe that everything that Tupac's mother and aunt stood for while in the Black Panthers and the philosophy that he lived before and after prison would have him still deciding to remain hidden after all of these years for everything that he stood up for and that he believed in, which was injustice, it was police brutality, it was giving voices to the people that nobody else cared about. I just can't believe of all things that if he were alive, he wouldn't be fighting these battles for the American people or for the African-American community. It just, it doesn't make sense to me and it doesn't add up. Okay, I can agree with that. I appreciate your facts. Mm -hmm. But I think unfortunately, Tupac really was before his time. Absolutely. Had he been here now, I'm not claiming he's not still alive, but had he been here now, I think it would have been the time for him to be alive. Oh, absolutely. And he definitely was before his time. He just wanted to bring power back to the people and he wanted to give such a strong voice to people, especially nowadays, right? We have a really big race war going on in the United States and it's only going to get worse as time goes on. Right. And with the Black Lives Matter movement, who knows the types of things that he would have accomplished for his community nowadays. He absolutely would have been a force to be reckoned with, which in my mind, right, is is dangerous. Well, not in my mind. I think in a lot of people's minds, somebody that would bring so many people together, even though it be it would be for the betterment of any community. It's really dangerous, especially to the government. Well, and people fear change. So you have people that want to do better and make the world better and peace, love, happiness, everyone gets along, that kind of thing, right? Mm-hmm. Or look out for themselves and stand up for what they believe in is right. People are afraid of that. They absolutely are. And we see that more every day. So that's That's why I don't think he's alive. I don't think he's hiding in Cuba. I just don't think the way that he lived his life and what he stood for, he would just idly hang out and just say, you know what? It's not, it's not my time yet. I can't do anything yet. I, he's not alive. I'm so sorry. (laughs) I'm sorry, world, to break it to you. A lot of people ask, did Suge Knight plot the murder? Death Row Records boss Suge Knight was in the car with Tupac when he was shot, and some people believe that he may have been involved. People also ask if the FBI staged a cover-up. Many fans believe that Tupac was killed by the FBI in an attempt to end violent rap culture in the middle of the infamous West Coast versus East Coast hip-hop war. I just want to remind you what you just said. Many fans believe that Tupac was killed. (laughs) Well, there's some that don't, okay. (laughs) There is also the belief that they also killed Biggie Smalls for the same reason. I can see that. Yeah? Yes. Well, listen, I... Hey, we'll get that. Yes, I will tell you how I feel. This, of course, has never been proven. 
I told you earlier in part one and a little bit in part two that Tupac and Biggie were friends until Tupac was shot and robbed in the New York music studio in 1994. We're on part two, aren't we? Okay. We're fine. I told you earlier. I got it. Part one and part two. And I'm going, does she realize that this is part two? (laughs) Wow. Okay. Have a podcast, I said. As I was reading it, I knew I was wrong. That's the best part. We're still recording. Okay. I told you earlier in part one that Tupac and Biggie were friends until Tupac was shot and robbed in the New York music studio in 1994. Tupac sparked a feud with Biggie after accusing him and P. Diddy of having some involvement, which they both denied. Mm -hmm. There are some people that believe that the rapper formerly known as Puff Daddy... So many names. He's formerly known as a lot of things. <laughs> Didn't you tell me earlier he's he's known as Love now? Yeah, so he went from Puffy, I think, to P. Diddy to now Love. And his legal name, right, is Sean Combs. And there's only two people in the world, period. And I don't even think that includes his girlfriends or his ex-wives. Who knows about his kids? Um, But there are only two people that he has ever stated that he allows to call him Sean. And that's his mom and somebody else I'm going to bring up later on. I love all the rabbit holes here. (laughs) So a lot of people believe that Diddy was actually the mastermind behind Biggie's murder. The theory is that after seeing how well Tupac's album did for Death Row Records... Diddy wanted sales to skyrocket for Biggie's upcoming album, which was ironically named Life After Death, Mm -hmm. so he hired gang members to shoot Biggie. Diddy's former bodyguard believes the allegations, and according to a retired LAPD detective, Biggie's mother believes that P. Diddy and Suge Knight are responsible for her son's murder. Yes, uh, speaking of a retired LAPD detective, he's not retired, uh, bring him up later on because I'm probably going to forget to talk about him but just remind me of an LAPD detective because I have a very interesting weird fact that just ties in with all these other weird things that are happening. (laughs) Got it. Perfect. So since we're on the subject of P. Diddy or love, lack thereof, (laughs) let's start from P. Diddy's humble beginnings. I don't know if you know this. I guess that he was an intern with Universal Records and he was eventually fired. And this is when he began his label, Bad Boy Records. Wait, hold on. Intern as in like, he probably brought people coffee intern? I'm not sure what type of intern I'm assuming, but I wouldn't say that too loud because I don't think he'd like that. Allegedly. Allegedly (laughs) made coffee. Allegedly. Bring me my coffee. Anyway, so then he began his own label, right, which everybody knows as Bad Boy Records. Right. Here's some really weird facts, and I want everybody just to stay with me on this, okay? So the first artist that Diddy ever signed with his label was a rapper named Craig Mack, and he did Flava In Your Ear. And all of these rappers are from the late 90s to the early 2000s. Okay. So I need to keep that in mind. Okay? Got it. He signed Craig Mack and Biggie Smalls, and they both released their albums at the same time as well. And Biggie outshined Mac for obvious reasons. So you're going to begin to see a pattern as I start to outline some of the previous artists that did a deal with the devil, as most would label Diddy as. Interesting. Okay. Yeah. There's a lot of not so great things said about Diddy by previous artists, ex-girlfriends, 
a lot of things. Diddy allegedly has a reputation of ripping his artists off or essentially stealing from them through the contract terms when he signs them as artists. I'm sure a lot of people know he actually still owns the publishing rights to most of Biggie's songs. <laughs> okay. Mm-hmm. So whether it's owning all publishing rights or anything else, back to Craig Mack. He was the first artist to eventually leave music altogether, and he joined a Christian commune called Overcomer Ministry. And back then it was viewed as a cult. What? Yes. Okay. So the leader of this cult, he was arraigned and arrested and sent to prison for sexual assault and abuse of a minor. Go figure. Wow. Sounds like all the rest of them. But unfortunately, Mac, in his late 40s, he actually died of heart attack. Oh, that's so young. Okay. Mm -hmm. But I just want you to focus on the religious aspect. Got okay? it. So then you have another artist. His name was Mace, and he signed with Diddy, and one of his songs was Feels So Good. And if you look at the top Billboard charts of 96 to 97, you're going to see Mace there more than a few times. He actually had a platinum-selling album. So with him having a platinum-selling album, you would, you would think that he would have made millions, right? Yeah. Wrong. So at the age of 24, he randomly retires and he did a bunch of interviews stating and accusing how much Diddy had ripped him off and that Diddy had taken all the money. He barely saw a dime on any of the proceedings of any of the songs that he was on the top of the board for. Wow. All right. Uh-huh. And then shortly after him retiring, he later converted to religion and he became a pastor. Okay, so that's two for two. Yep, that's two. Oh. So there's another artist, his name is Shine, and he's known for his song, Bad Boys, which I thought was funny because, you know, Bad Boys records. He also fell into the spider web, and within a year of signing with Diddy, people in Shine's inner circle started noticing considerable changes, which included that he kind of became like a hollow shell type person, that he just was not happy anymore. They just slowly started to see him become an empty person, essentially. Okay. And in regard to all of this, one night changed Shine's life and career forever. So what happened was Diddy, J-Lo, because I believe they were dating at this time, the artist Shine, they were all at a club. And according to the statement, somebody pulled a gun on Shine, which he then pulled a gun to defend himself. And later on, he was actually charged with attempted murder, assault, and reckless endangerment. And oddly enough, do you know who was acquitted and walked away free? Hmm. I mean, I have a guess who. It was Diddy, obviously. Okay. So Diddy testify against Shine, which is why he was able to walk away. So Shine goes to prison. He's there for, I can't even remember how many years. After his release from prison, he's deported. And he also eventually converted to Orthodox Judaism. Wow. There's a lot of religion happening. There <laughs> is, right? I think that's what? Three for three? Yes. All right, on to the next. So last but not least is an artist by the name of Loon, L-O-O. And he is known for Down With Me, I think was one of his songs. He realized very early on the mistake that he made and he eventually left Bad Boy Record. He was visiting a city in Abu Dhabi. I'm not sure where that is. And he had a life-changing experience while he was in this city. He said that he felt nothing but happiness and tranquility, which he later expressed was something that he could never find in all the fame and all the wealth after he left Diddy. But because of everything that had transpired and the toxicity that he experienced when he was under Diddy for a very short time, he eventually converted to Islam. 
Okay. Unfortunately, he didn't have the most successful story either. He was actually later on arrested for intent to traffic drugs. And I believe he did prison for about 14 years. But I think you're catching my drift. Yeah, everyone around that record label ends up going to religion. (laughs) I know it's weird, isn't it? Yes. And a lot of people, I think with the last person, Loon, it's kind of a reach. But with the other ones, I don't know, it's a little fishy. Yeah, it is a little fishy to say the least. This is going to bring me to one of my other thoughts. Okay. So let's move on to Biggie. We're going to shift away from Diddy and we're going to go to Biggie. How exactly did Biggie end up in LA amidst all the threats just a few months after Tupac's death without any security, I think is one of the biggest questions. Right, which we talked about in part one, Mm -hmm. because he very confidently was on the phone with his mom and stated that he did not have anyone from his security team, but he felt confident because the police were protecting him. I remember. I've got it. Yes. Let's take a trip down memory lane and try to put the pieces together. Okay. So I heard that Biggie was in a car accident before his death and he had broken his left femur. Okay. Which I don't think a lot of people are aware of. So that, to me, it made me wonder if it ever showed up on his autopsy report. Because if you remember, Tupac's, like you had stated, right, was a bit crazy, according to you. Yeah, because I'm telling you, it could be a different body, but I feel like you're going to tell me it really was Biggie. (laughs) Yes. So (laughs) in Biggie's autopsy, it states that he did have a broken femur with a rod. And there was no drugs or alcohol in his system. I don't really know why I felt it was important to state the no alcohol or drugs. Well, if you remember right, in part one, we talked about how they had just left a party. So I guess that is interesting because that means at the party, Biggie never had anything to drink. He never did any drugs, which I don't know if he was a big drinker, but if that is an interesting fact because, I mean, they were at a big party after an award show. Yes, they okay. were. So go on. Okay. So the obvious question next was, what was this car accident? According to Biggie's cousin, Little Cease, I think that's how you say his name, the day before the car accident, they were actually arrested due to possession of marijuana. They were in New York, so they got locked up, and then they were released about an hour later. So when they were picking up the vehicle, they were driving in that they had been arrested. It was a Lexus truck, and they noticed that it wouldn't start which was kind of random because it was working perfectly fine before they got arrested. (laughs) Like an hour ago? Okay. Yes. And so in replace of that, because they had places to be, they were given an aluminum van, of all things. (laughs) Okay. So his cousin was like, what the hell is this? (laughs) Give me my truck. And I think at that point, Biggie kind of just waved it off and he just wanted to be low key for a bit. So he told his cousin, it's fine. Let's just go. I want to leave. Let's get out of here. Right. So as Little Cease, his cousin, who was driving the van, gets onto I-95, he states that the van randomly speeds out of control, causing them to hit a rail on the other side of the road. So because they hit this rail, that is actually what initially caused Biggie to have a broken femur. And because of him having this broken femur, it actually crippled him for life to where he had to use a cane from that point on. That's so random. First, their car doesn't start after, you know, being in police custody, we'll just say, or an impound lot for maybe an hour. And then they're given a van that just randomly goes out of control. Okay, that's a little fishy. It is. Yes. So my next question was, well, that's random. They got picked up in New York. The vehicle that was taken into custody, like you said, all of a sudden has issues when it was working perfectly fine that day. And then an accident ensued. Right. So... 
to me, this injury really set things into motion for a lot of the next events to unfold that we're going to talk about. But I just want to state that something really, really bothered me. Why would the truck not start? Yeah, exactly. I could see if it had been like all day. I don't know. That's even a reach. But after an hour and it didn't start. Yeah, it's a little weird. Mm-hmm. So I think the natural conclusion or question right next would be, did NYPD have something to do with it? Were they getting paid by maybe P. Diddy? Mm-hmm. But who knows for sure? But I do find something interesting. And, you know, again, this is probably a stretch and that's okay. But I just wanted to put it out there because it's stuck in my mind. And because of the allegations of Suge Knight having LAPD officers on his payroll, right? So P. Diddy is from New York. Did he have NYPD on his payroll? (laughs) Yeah. So I was trying to see if there was any connection as I was doing my research and looking up everything. And the only thing I could find is you fast forward from 97 to 2011. So almost 14-ish years later, after NYPD is giving P. Diddy a random escort at the request of some dry cleaner, the report said. So the police lieutenant had NYPD do a personal escort all the way from New York to New Jersey after plans to have P. Diddy fly in a helicopter, I guess, went south. That's a little strange. Yes, because why would the police do an escort for P. Diddy? I mean, I know that people will say he's important. I know he, I'm sure, thinks he's important. But, I mean, you're not a government official. You're not the president. So I just think it's weird in that time. Especially at the request of a dry cleaner. I don't really understand that. But okay, we'll go with it. Yes. Okay, so NYPD admits to going and doing said escort for a concert that P. Diddy was to make an appearance at. And it actually caused a ton of backlash. And an investigation was started by the New York City mayor who was furious. Right. So why do I bring this up? You're probably asking what would NYPD and Diddy gain in having a connection? That's very simple. Money. Right. And, you know, most know money holds all the weight in the world. And I think about it this way. NYPD was continuously getting slammed by Biggie in his lyrics and interviews because Biggie hated them for always arresting him back when he was younger in his drug dealing days. And it caused a lot of strife with East Coast versus West Coast. So we all know how much Biggie was loved by the New York City people. And I can only imagine how much contention it caused for the NYPD from those people. All right, hold on. So since we are talking about the cops, I did make my little note here to bring this up with you. What detective are you referring to? Oh, yeah, that's right. Okay, so this is <laughs> this is a weird fact as well. And I'm, I'm sure a lot of people know. So later on, so years down the road, they reopened the cold case to Biggie and Tupac. Right. I think it maybe it was just Biggie. I'm not sure. It was, it was one of them. Anyway, so the it's an LAPD detective, and his name is Russell Poole. Okay, so we talked about him in the first episode. Yes. I'm on track, okay. And... Russell Poole's reputation is kind of a difficult one to pin down because you have people, I guess it depends on what side of the fence you you sit on or what side of the table. If you ask LAPD what they thought, they all can't stand him (laughs) for obvious reasons, right? Yeah, he called him out. Yes. And they'll tell you that he went crazy. So I think it's just 
an intent to damage his reputation to make him seem a less reliable source. Anyway, so he was investigating, doing all of this stuff. He found information on whatever he found. He was actually in the middle of a meeting with people, a detective, and I think the captain. And all of a sudden, after he had exposed that he felt it was the LAPD that killed Biggie or had something to do with Biggie dying, he all of a sudden randomly has a heart attack right there (laughs) and he dies. Because that's not suspicious at all. Yeah. Okay. Yes, that it just happened to go like he I mean, it totally could have happened. We're not saying it did or didn't. I'm just saying that is a little weird that after everything's happening, my little conspiracy brain is just like firing right, right. now. Exactly. <laughs> That's it's weird. It is weird. I'm glad that you that you brought that up because I forgot that we had discussed him mm-hmm. in part one. All right. So now that we talked about the whole weird Russell Poole coincidence, let's move on. According to Kirk Burroughs, who is a Bad Boy Records former president, Biggie was supposed to leave to London to meet with press from all over the world and do a possible world tour that Clyde Davis had set up for him. So Biggie would have been one of the first rappers to have this type of press coverage ever. So the award show that we've talked about, I think it was in part one, the Soul Train Music Awards, which is Biggie's last known public appearance before his demise that night, right? Right. He was supposed to leave the next day to London for two to three days, and then he was going to come back to New York to be home. What an experience that would have been for him. Okay. So Diddy called Burroughs late Friday night or early Saturday morning. It could have been into Saturday morning, stating that Biggie wanted to stay in L.A. Let's talk about the fact that Biggie, number one, had no security the night that he died. Right. So according to Burroughs, Biggie had a budget for security, which ended early Saturday morning. And then a new budget was starting once he was in love. So due to him not going, no budget was ever redone to support him for that day night-ish while he was in LA. Well, how ironic is that? Isn't it interesting how things are adding up? Mm Mm-hmm. So there have been numerous interviews from several different people that were in Biggie's inner circle claiming that Biggie never wanted to go to LA. And although he wasn't crazy about going to London since he was a bigger dude and I'm sure the plane seats weren't going to be comfortable. And then if you take into account his leg, I can only imagine how uncomfortable that would be. Right. So after Biggie's death, P. Diddy did an interview saying that he, as in P. Diddy, Right. Wanted to go to London and that Biggie was dead set on staying in L.A. (laughs) Funny how we have all these conflicting stories. Well, I think it's weird, too, because Diddy, even though he's from New York, he resides, I think he resides in L.A. Biggie was still in New York. Right. So it's just, it's weird. In my mind, why would P. Diddy have anything to do with Biggie's murder? Allegedly. (laughs) Alleged murder, (laughs) yes. So it's been rumored that Biggie was trying to figure out how to get the publishing rights back from the songs that were his. Okay, that makes sense. Yes, because he had sold the rights of his songs to P. Diddy for, I can't remember how much. It wasn't very much at all. Right. But I mean, you know, Biggie wants to make money for the work he's putting out there. It makes sense. Of course. So he allegedly, as in he, I mean Biggie, Biggie was planning on leaving Bad Boy Records for Rockefeller which I'm sure most hip-hop fans know is the label that Jay-Z left Rock Nation for. Right. So how does Jay-Z tie into this crazy rabbit hole, I'm sure people are asking? (laughs) Jay-Z and Biggie apparently were 
friends, quotation marks, okay? <laughs> and since they'd known each other since high school, they went to the same high school, it's also been rumored that Jay-Z has been accused of stealing a lot of Biggie's lyrics since his death. And when people give him backlash, you know, true Biggie fans call him out for stealing these lyrics, he simply states, that's me paying homage to Biggie, my friend. Interesting. Mm -hmm. So all these people are getting famous off of this. Got it? Yes. All these people are making money still to this day on Biggie, right? So when most know that Jay-Z had a very competitive relationship with Biggie, P. Diddy has been known to have said in statements, Jay-Z really stepped up and filled the hole that Biggie and Tupac left behind. (laughs) Okay. Mm -hmm. And I think it's funny because since we're on the topic of Jay-Z and his connections to Biggie... He also had connections to Tupac, but in more of an intense sort of way. Tupac, before his death, started beefing, I guess is what... Yeah, that's the term. Is what they say, yeah. (laughs) So Tupac started beefing with Jay-Z because of Jay-Z's Brooklyn's Finest record that he did with Biggie. Okay. And for whatever reason, that just set Tupac off the deep end. Right. That makes sense. Okay. So I guess your question initially was, who killed Tupac and Biggie. If they are dead, yes. They are both (laughs) dead, yes. Yes, that was the original question. In my mind, after looking over the facts, honestly, I do believe that Diddy hired a gang member from the Crips to murder Tupac. Allegedly. Uh Uh-huh. And I believe (laughs) that Suge Knight then retaliated and hired a gang member from the Bloods to then allegedly murder (laughs) Biggie. And in my mind, it's kind of an eye for an eye sort of deal. And look, whether or not Diddy and Knight work together, who's who's to say? Money can either divide us or it unites us, right? Yeah, no, it makes total sense. And in my mind, and well, not in my mind, you just look at the facts. They both gained a ton, and I'm talking a ton of money after Biggie and Tupac's death, making it mutually beneficial on profit ends for both of them. Right. If you look at the top billboard hip hop hits from 96 to 97, you're actually gonna see Diddy up and down that list for hits. And I don't believe that Biggie had anything to do with the first shooting of Tupac because if we're looking at it from a business standpoint, whether Tupac or Biggie were or weren't friends, they both made money off of each other and their feud, right? Quotation marks. In my mind, they were both huge competitors, but not for who could make more money. I think it's more of the purity of the art or music and who was the better artist, essentially. I think it was always about the content and it was always about the music. I mean, money's important, but they both came from nothing. And I think that they really pushed each other to reach their full potential. And that's all it ever really was. Wow. I'm so glad you came with all of those notes. It was a lot. You really brought a lot to this case. I know. I've been gone forever. So so you showed up. I tried to make up to it. So sorry. Sorry (laughs) I have a job that demands all my time. Just kidding. Well, that was our wild case of the murders of Tupac and Biggie. Normally I ask you, what did you think? Because you're hearing it for the first time, but now I'm wondering what I think because you brought so much information. And really at the end of the day, I still think Tupac's alive, but was, that's neither here nor I there. was just about to say, is Tupac alive? <laughs> I guess we'll have to go to Cuba and find out. You know what? I'm going to put this as a, what is it called on Spotify? A poll. Is Tupac <laughs> alive? Because I am curious to see who thinks you're right 
thinks I'm right. It's me. Are you ready to hear some tea for today? It's yes, been a while. It has been. Don't you hate it when you suffer a heart attack and think you're going to die uh, so you confess to a 17-year-old murder, only to find out that you're not going to die, and then you get sentenced to life in prison as a result? What? Yeah. So does James Washington in <laughs> Nashville because it happened to him. Wow. <laughs> well, I guess, you know, repenting is, you know, better later than never. <laughs> exactly. Unless you're sitting in prison forever. <laughs> that sucks. <laughs> is this 17-year-old murder going to be one of our cases? No, we've got a really good one coming up next, though. Oh, so the 17-year-old murder is not interesting is what you're saying. Yeah, it was only interesting to use it for the tea time, you know, just like, wow, I can't believe you're that stupid. But Do eh. you know how he killed this person? No, stop questioning my well, tea now times. I'm, I'm curious. Whatever. All right. That was a really good one. I'm glad that you showed up for tea time. <laughs> what am I going to say next? Do I want to hear a joke? Yes. Do we all want to hear a joke? I think we do. In fact, listen, it's been so long. I have four jokes. Oh, man, we're in for a treat. Let's see if you can gather the theme of my jokes today. <laughs> okay. okay, you ready? Yeah. What do you call a grape that doesn't like to compromise? <laughs> I don't know what. Unreasonable. <laughs> that was a good one. I do like that one. <laughs> ready for the next one? Yeah. Why do people invite dried currants to a party? I don't know why. Because they help with raising the roof. <laughs> you ready? Yeah. How did the grape get to be so wise? How? By raising awareness. <laughs> and then the last one, it's not so much a joke. It's more of a statement. People ask me why I hate grapes. I have my raisins. Oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> and then as always, everybody, we really appreciate your support. That's it for today's episode. For all of our teaaholics that enjoyed our show today, please remember to go and rate the show on whatever platform you are listening to. Give us a follow on Facebook at Tea on Crime Podcast, Instagram at Tea on Crime Podcast, Twitter at Tea on Crime Pod, and TikTok at Tea on Crime Podcast. I'm your host, Britt. And I'm your co-host, Jessica. And we will be back next week to serve you more tea on all things true crime. Bye!